see all of, good to see all of you. <laughs> and those of you that have joined us online, thank you for being with us this morning. We trust that you will be blessed because we know the Spirit of God is here. Thank you, worship team. They did a great job. It was wonderful this morning. Praise God. Um, I want to report to you that uh, this Friday we have 30 teens that are going to go to this uproar meeting because of your generosity. You gave enough and more than enough so that we could send everyone that needed to go. And there's some young, young people that this may be a very critical time for them. Some of them, they, you, those of you that are, maybe nobody's our age, but I know there's a few of you. But those of you that are older than 20 or 30 years old may not realize the battle that they go through. The, the inundation, they're inundated. The things you and I never had to deal with. Uh, and, and they get so little time so little exposure to the truth and to God's word and God's love. There is a spiritual battle going on for that generation. And so for them to be able to pull away from all of that for several days and be among other teens that are equally as excited for the things of God, we're trusting and believing that God will be able to do some significant things in their lives. And your generosity has allowed them to go and to do that. So I'm going to ask one more thing of you. I'm going to ask you to pray for them. We're going to pray for them just now, but I'm going to ask you to pray for them this Friday through, I think they come back Sunday, um, uh, and just pray that God will move in their lives, pray for safety, that the Spirit of God will have free reign to speak to them. I've known of people that were called into the ministry in, in meetings like this. And so we're believing God for great things for our young people that are going. So, so let's pray together, and then I'm going to ask you, just encourage you, and we'll send some kind of reminder out to you this week. Father, we thank you for these young people that we have. We thank you for all the young people, our teenagers, our young adults that you have entrusted to us. And Father, they are the future of the church if Jesus does not come back. And so, Lord, we recognize the tremendous spiritual battle that they are in, that most of them may not have any idea that they are part of that. And so we're praying for them this morning, Father, for these teens, these 30 young people that will be going to this conference. We're praying, Father, first of all, that nothing will interfere with them going, that nothing will stop them, discourage them, nothing will come up in their family or any situation that will keep them from going. We pray, Father, for safety as they travel there, travel back, and safety for while they are there. And we pray for the Spirit of God through the worship, through the concerts that they're going to listen to, through the sharing with one another, through the teaching, that the Spirit of God will deposit in their lives the, the deposit of grace, the deposit of love, the deposit of the reality that you really are real and that you've called them and that you love them. This is a special time that you have available with them. And we call upon you through the Spirit of the living God to touch each and every one of them that they may not come back, any of them, the same way. Satan, we take authority over you. And every aspect of this time away and this travel, not just their safety, not just the preparation, but anything that would distract them or hinder them from the will of God being done in their lives. And we commit together as a community of believers here for these young people who are so important to us and precious to us that we will bind together in prayer for this time that they're away. And for this, we thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen.
and amen. Also, reminder, parents that have not filled out the paperwork that you need, there will be a table in the foyer. You can't get out the door until you fill that out. They can't come unless we have the permission slips and everything else that's required. Second thing I want to just remind you of and, and challenge you to, this, this family fun time we're having in August is so important as we come out from underneath a lot of things we've done with, had to deal with this last year. To be able to connect together physically as a community here and of families here. But we need your help. We need people to help man some of these activities. You don't have to be trained. You just have to show up and care. We'll tell you what you need to do. But we need people to volunteer. It's really time that we step up and get out of our... There's no longer blue chairs, whatever color these are. And we just get involved because God has called every one of us to be involved in doing something for someone else and for His kingdom. And it doesn't have to be a great big thing. You don't have to be called to stand behind a pulpit. It may be, you may be called to stand next to a jumpy thing. You may be called to just man a, a beverage bar or something like that. But whatever it is, do what you're called to do. And you may not say, well, what is it, Pastor? The Bible says, put your hand, whatever you put your hand to, God will prosper. Step out and do something, and then God can begin to direct you. It's very hard to redirect something that's, st- that's stuck in its ways. So I'm just here to challenge you as your pastor. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Well, that's the end of that. We're going to get into God's Word now. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful time of worship as we celebrate, remind ourselves, and, and, and declare the wonderful things that you've done for us, that you have called us to be literally your sons and daughters, and how we remember back how good and how faithful you've been to us. And those that have, us that are older have been walking with you for a longer period of time. We have so much more to look back over and see how merciful you've been, how patient you've been, how kind you've been, how good you've been, how you've protected us and brought us through many dangerous toils and snares. And we thank you as a church that you've done this for this church that's been here for over 42 years. You brought us through many challenges that could well have destroyed us, but we're here and we're prospering because of your mercy and your grace and your goodness. And so as we even begin to look for the future in our lives or the future in this church, we have great confidence and expectation that you who've begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ. And now, Father, as we prepare to open your word together and allow your precious Holy Spirit to take this living word and to breathe it into our hearts and to deposit it as seed, We're asking you to open the eyes of our understanding that we may truly see the hope of your calling for our life that is in Christ. And for this, we rest on and depend upon the grace and ability of the Holy Spirit, both to speak the word and for all of us to hear the word. And for that, we give you thanks in advance in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We've been talking for a number of weeks now uh, about this idea of, and the Bible talks about it, just uses different terms, of pulling back the curtain. Yeah, there's a good example of it. Okay. And, and the curtain represents the, the boundaries and limitations of, of our world that's within the boundaries of our, of our flesh, our five senses, the things we can see, feel, touch, hear, or taste. And the boundaries of our mind, the mental understanding that we have of things. And, and within that, within that, realm, that world, this, the Bible calls it the, the world of the flesh, the, the natural world. It's very real. And that's where we've lived almost all of our lives and we still live all of our lives, there, most of our lives there. 
But the Bible teaches us that there's another reality that's more real. It's eternal. This one's changing and passing away. And if you don't believe it, look, this last week was our, we had an anniversary. So we pulled out our, our wedding pictures and um, she looks just about the same. How was that? That was pretty good. All right. I, I've changed a little. <laughs> and so it is an indication that this physical part of me is in the process of change. And the Bible says it's decaying. It's in the process of passing away slowly but surely. Though the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. So what we've seen is the Bible teaches us that there is beyond this world, this, this realm of our understanding, of our minds, of our senses, there is another realm out there called the spirit realm. And this realm is outside the veil of our flesh, the veil of our mind, the, the, the curtain that blocks it from our understanding. But the Bible pulls it back and gives us insight to what's behind that curtain. And what we've seen is behind that curtain is, is the kingdom of God, is eternity, first of all. This is temporary, this is passing away. But what's on the other side of that curtain, whether it's heaven or hell for you, is eternal. It's eternity. And it's only a thin veil away. It's only a heartbeat away. And then we've seen that God lives behind that curtain. He dwells behind that curtain. And the one that's behind that curtain as God is for us our Father. And we sang about that this morning. We talked about prayer, the importance of prayer, the vital, the vital importance of prayer is prayer is designed by God to reach behind that curtain and to communicate with him and to reach behind that curtain because behind that curtain are spiritual forces, spiritual beings, angels and demons and forces out there that are affecting and controlling in many ways this world and we react to this world on this side of the curtain without realizing what's causing it on the other side of that curtain. So prayer takes the power of God on the other side of that curtain and brings it to bear in those situations that are affecting this world, the church, your life, your family, your health, and brings the power of God into this realm and to bring bear on it. And then we begin to look at who you are behind that curtain. And we're not going to put it up today, but I've used on several occasions this picture of a, of a molten lava cake. Someone sent me a copy of, a, of a, uh, a menu yesterday that had it on there, which means it's getting in. Um, and we saw that inside that molten lava cake is the real richness of the cake. It's, it's, it's soft, gooey, warm chocolate. But it's inside a standard, boring cake. And the real value of that dessert is not the standard cake, it's what's on the inside. But you don't see what's on the inside until it's broken and opened up. And so we begin to look at what the Word of God says, who you really are on the inside, the real man, real person that you are on the inside. And, I, and, I'm, and the person on the inside of you is an eternal being. We saw that in the Bible teaches us there's three parts of you. There's your body, which is the part you're looking at and seeing here, and I'm looking at and seeing more of you than I've seen for a while. There's your soul, which is your personality, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then there's your spirit man. And that's the real you. That's who you are on the inside. That's the eternal part of you. And that spirit man, and by I say man, I mean generic person, 
and your soul are going to live forever somewhere. And that is the eternal part of you. And we began to look at this person that's on the inside of you. And I'm talking today, assuming I'm talking to people that are born again, that you have given your life to Christ, you've received him as your righteousness, as your savior. And we'll talk to those that may not have done that yet, because there's a real person on the inside of you too. But we've seen that the Bible tells us that the what's inside of you is the kingdom of God. God dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. When you were born again, God regenerated you out of his own nature. And we've looked at a number of scriptures that tell us that. First, uh, Second Peter chapter 1 says we've been given the divine nature. We're going to see some more of that if I don't get in. Let's get into the, the, the notes for today. So you're, the real person, real person inside of you is a spirit being. We saw uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that Paul addressing the church in Corinth who were born again. And he says, but the problem I have with you, he says, is you're not acting like who you are. Because there's envy, jealousy, strife, all those things of your old person, and you're acting like that old person. And, you're, and when he said that, he said, you're acting like mere men, mere human beings. And the implication is, Paul is saying, you're not really just a human being on the inside, but you're acting like just a human being. You're acting like who you are. And see, Satan works hard to keep the church, which is us, it's all all of us, keep us pressed down to believe that we just have to deal with everything in life we have to deal with, with our own strength, our own ability, our own knowledge, our own wisdom, or whatever we're able to get through Google, the internet, social media, or wherever else we can go to get it. And yet the Bible says the wisdom of God is dwelling in you now. Christ has been made unto you. 1 Corinthians one thirty one. First, God, Christ has been made unto you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Those are in you now. We saw that Ephesians 1 says that God has made us, not will make us when you get to heaven, has made us holy and without blame before you. So, well, Pastor, I, I have had, I know there's some blame, and I sure am not holy. You're talking about how you've acted, but not who you are. And Paul's method of, of teaching a church was to start out by reminding them who they really were on the inside and who was living in them, and then he would tell them, now start acting like who you really are. If Christ is in you, you've been made, you, you are as righteous as He is. Not in yourself, but Him in you, because you've been joined together with Him and are one. So, whatever He is, you are. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. Let's go to Ephesians 4. We, we talked about this last week. We're going to review a little bit here some more because it's important to get this in us. I appreciated the way they sang the songs this morning a little slower than normal because it allows those words to seep in and begin to become more of a reality 
in our mind and then eventually down into our hearts. Ephesians 4, Paul is again talking to a church that he started out by saying, he's made you holy and without blame before him. We're going to look here um, at verse 17. This, Therefore I say and testify to the Lord that you no longer walk as the, re- as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Unbelievers, people who were outside the covenant with God. He says, in other words, I testify that you should no longer walk the way unbelievers walk. We've told you the word walk means how you conduct your life. And how do they walk? In the futility of their mind. So the, 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 the world apart from God, this is, the, this is the curtain. All they can deal with and try to understand what's going on is with their human mind. And when it comes to spiritual things, that's futile. That means it has no capacity or ability to understand what's going on, which is why the world's so confused about what's going on and cannot understand it because it's, outside, it's on the other side of that veil and their minds limit, the veil is the limit of their mind. That you no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, verse 18. Having their understanding darkened means their lights turned out. They can't see being alienated or separated from the life of God. This is what it's like on this side of the curtain. All you can deal with things are with your mind and there are severe limits when it comes to spiritual things. On this side of the curtain, when you live here, you're separated from the life of God, the power, the life, the joy of God because of the ignorances in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Verse 19 who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness, verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. That's not who you are, he's saying. Verse 21. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man. Now, just because you're born again doesn't mean that old man went away. Ah, you found that out, haven't you? It's like you're carrying him around. And at certain opportunities, and maybe it's more than once or twice, that old man will try to gain control of you again. But that's not who you are. He can't change who you are. All he can do is try to get you to act like who you used to be. Just sinking in? All right. And notice who's to put this off. You have to put it off. So there are times I go through things and as more I teach this, the more becomes real to me. Is certain thoughts will come at me and attack me and things that I know I, they're, they're not what I want to do. They're not thoughts I want to have. So instead of just listening to them, I've learned to say, talk to my old man. Say, shut up. That's not who I am anymore. That's, you're not who I am anymore. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am in God's eyes holy and without blame because I'm in Christ. On my own, apart from Him, I'm exactly what you're telling me, but that's not who I am. I am in Christ. And in Him, I am whatever He is. So you have to put that off, and it's a daily exercise. We're going to talk about how to do that later on. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, verse 22. But be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's the process we're working on now. 
that you put on the new man, which was, was created, not will be created, which has already been created, how? According to God. In the Greek, that word according means after the image of or the nature of God. In true righteousness and holiness. So God's done for you all He can do. He's put His nature in you. It's our responsibility now to do that, to help in the process of bringing that nature on the inside to the outside. How do you do this? We just said by tra- to change the spirit of your mind. Romans 12.2 says, and we're not going to put it up there, that to not be conformed to this world. The word conformed we talked about, and we'll, we're, I'm going to, when this is done, I'm going to do a whole series on how do you renew your mind. But the, the challenge is this. The world's trying to conform you And that's the Greek word for that is an outward pressure to make the outside of you conform to what the pressure is. And the best example of that is a mold, the pressure of a mint to mint a coin. They would take whatever silver, whatever it's made of, and this, this mold would pressure down on it. And when the pressure came off, the outside of that coin looked exactly like the negative side of this mold. But it didn't change the nature of the coin. It didn't change the nature of the silver. It just made it look like on the outside what that mold is. And that's what the world's trying to do to the church. By pressure, regardless of the change that God's done on the inside, to keep that change from coming to the outside by change so that we look, act, and talk, and free, respond just like the world does, then the world can't see what's really on the inside of us. But we're to be transformed... The word transformed is a different Greek word, which if you really go study it out, which I've done, it means to take what's the nature on the inside and to bring that nature to the outside. And Paul says, and that's done by renewing our mind, changing how we think. And we'll get on to that in in much detail as we go further with this. So, how do we do this? We're going to begin just, this is some basic study, then we'll get into the actual process. The first thing that God has given us to do this is His Word, the Word of God, what we're reading today. The Word of God is anointed by God to bring this process about. God has given the Word of God to you and me, to His church, and we're going to begin to look at that process today. Then there are other things we can do. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 11. No, verse, let's go to verse 12. Therefore, since we have such great hope, we use boldness of speech. Go ahead. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. What he's referring to here is this. I know I've mentioned this before. This is talking about when Moses, when the children of Israel delivered out of Egypt. So God's people have now been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. And that represents God's children being delivered from the bondage of this world and of sin. 
And now they're out in a wilderness and God wants to introduce himself to them because they've been in this bondage for 430 years. So God calls Moses up on the top of Mount Sinai and God speaks to him face to face. And then when Moses came down off the mountain, his face was glowing so strongly people could not stand in his presence because what it was to be in the physical, tangible presence of God the glory of God permeated his skin and permeated his robes, the cloth of his robes. It didn't get in him, it got on him. So when he came down, that glory of God was still reflecting or emanating off of him. But as time went by, because the source of that glory was not in him, the showing of it on the outside began to fade away. And Moses, first of all, put a veil over him, his face so that people wouldn't collapse in front of him because of the power of the glory of God. But apparently what happened is as that glory began to fade in his face and skin, he kept it over there so they wouldn't notice that it was fading. Um, that's what the implication is. Verse 12, 14. But their minds were blinded for until the same... Now, now this... The veil he's talking about here is the veil that was over Moses' face. Curtain, okay? But this is a reference to the veil that separates our awareness of the spirit realm where God lives. For until this day, that same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. In other words, without Christ living in you, you can't really understand what the Old Testament is saying. And I've shared with you, I, when I was a lawyer, uh, for most of my career, I worked with, other, with Jewish lawyers, some great men. And there was one or two of them who were very devout in their faith. And so I attended for a little while a, 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 a Torah session where the rabbi would come and teach whoever would bring their lunch, and we, had, we brought him lunch too. And we just, for an hour, just like a Bible study, except there was a Torah study, and the rabbi read it, and they kept asking questions, you know, well, what do you think this means? And to me, it was obvious what it meant, because it referred to Christ. But they could not see it, because it was Christ in me, that veil was lifted, and I could now understand things, not because I'm so smart, but because the veil was lifted in Christ. Because, but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Keep going. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, so you can now see. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Verse 18 is where I wanted to get. But we all, with unveiled face, with the curtain pulled back, Beholding as in a mirror, we're talking about how how you can become how you can take become more aware of who you really are on the inside. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into are being transformed. That's that word metamorphosis into the same image, from glory to glory. So as we begin to look into the mirror. We're going to talk about that in a second. As we begin to look at that image that's on the inside of us, that image begins to transform us till it comes to the outside of us. Let's go to to James chapter 1. 
Be do- very familiar for a verse. Be, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He's going to tell you why. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face. So he's talking about our body in a mirror. Now, I assume that many of you this morning got up and looked in a mirror. And you did a great job. I can tell by looking at you. You look great. Because you, 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 you know, your, your hair was all over the place, assuming you have some. And, you know, you did whatever you need to do. Because, and, but, but, but the thing about a mirror is it tells you the truth. It's not mirror, mirror on the wall, who's a, you know, that, that, no. It, the, that mirror in your bathroom, in your bedroom, it, tells, it, it, it puts, shows you whatever you put in front of it. So if you put handsome or beautiful in front of it, it shows handsome. If you put you know, something else in front of it, it shows back to you what you look like. All right? It doesn't change you. The only way you can change what's in the mirror is to change what you look like. But James is using the mirror as an example of the Word of God. If any man is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. So when you look in a mirror, you're seeing right now real time what you look like. When you walk away, the image of that begins to fade in your mind. And Paul's saying, or James is saying here, that when you look into the Word of God, what does the Word of God do? It reflects back to you who God's made you to be. But if you just look at it and then don't begin to apply it, your memory of who you are begins to fade and the pressure of the world begins to swallow up your image of who you are. I'm convinced that Jesus... Now, Jesus, born a little baby, we've talked about this many times, grew up, and the Bible says that he grew in wisdom and understanding. That means contrary to most standard religious thinking, Jesus didn't know everything about everything when he was five years old. He had to grow in wisdom and understanding. And if you're growing in something, that means you don't have it all right away, you're increasing in it. Part of that wisdom and understanding had to be understanding who he was. And I'm convinced he did that by reading the scriptures. And every time he would read a scripture that talked about the Messiah, something inside of him would go off. And a growing knowledge that that's me. To the point that when he comes back to his own hometown, after his ministry has begun, he's been baptized in the Jordan River, he refers to the scriptures that talk about who he is and what he came to do. So Jesus took what was on the inside and brought it to the outside by looking in that mirror of the word what other alternative do we have so the mirror so the point is this the bible teaches us that this word is a mirror and as you look in this word and begin to meditate in this word 
This word will be, has the ability to change your outside person into who this mirror... It's the only mirror that changes you into what the mirror sees. This mirror has the power. Now, it doesn't make you different because you already are. But it brings it to the outside, which is why Satan works so hard to keep you from spending time in the Word and encourage you to spend time in other places like social media, TV, other things that don't do this. But all those things, I'm not saying they're bad, but understand what they do. They conform, they're trying to conform you to tell you that's who you are. Let's look at some other scriptures here. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us. Why? Because who we really are is on the other side of the curtain. It can't see us. I'll never forget years ago watching a well-known Christian author. He had his own TV show. A great man of God. Being interviewed by someone like Larry King. And they made mincemeat of him. And I'm thinking, what were you thinking? What did you expect? They cannot possibly understand what you're talking about. Because... 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, says us that spiritual things, things behind the curtain, can only be discerned by people who are living on the other side of the curtain. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed, that we should be called children of God. We sang that this morning. But see, the reality of that, when that really becomes an awareness of who you are, it changes you. It changes how you act. It changes how you talk. Not arrogantly, but you begin to see yourself as a ch- literally a child of God. So what difference does it make what anybody else thinks of you? What difference does it make whether you're an outward success or not? What if, if God's your father? <laughs> oh, you know, I, I could never do that. I don't have the education. I don't have... But if God's your father... If you really are a child of God, not just some theological statement or something we sing on Sunday morning, but if the reality of that becomes, saturates your consciousness, it changes how you talk and act. And there's a world out there that needs to see children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, When you get to heaven, you are a child of God. What? That's not what it says? What does it say? Oh, now. Now. We are children of God. Look look at this. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. All we're doing is peeking around the curtain. But we know this. Listen to this. Let this sink into you. But when He is revealed... We shall be like Him. Because as He is, we shall see Him as He is. Now go to the next scripture. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. Okay, keep going. Go to the next one I gave you. 
chapter 4. Love has perfected among us in this that we may have boldness the day of judgment. Why? Because as He is, so are we. Where? Here. Now. In this world. Whatever He is, you are now in this world. You are the body of Christ in this world. You are His hands. You are His feet. You are His ears. You are His voice. His power, His authority has been given to His body to continue to do His work. But because we've not renewed our minds to who we are on the inside and we're living like the rest of the world on the outside, Satan has been successful to keep God in prison in his own church. As he is, so are you now. In, so whatever Christ is this, is, this is some heresy? No, it's what it says. So are you now in this world. Oh, Lord. Well, we're not going to get it done today. It's okay. It's worth taking the time. So how do you do this? We looked at this before. Proverbs 4, 20. This is part of what I meditate on every morning. I start, we're not, it's not going to show up. In, in, in Mark 4, uh, 4, 4, Jesus said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So if I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, I ought to give attention to it. My son, this is, this is God talking to his children. I know it's Solomon that wrote it, but God's talking to his children. My son, this is what you've got to do. Give attention to my words. How much attention do we give to his words compared to the attention we give to the words of the world? Or the words of other Christians, as well-meaning as they may be? Think about this. This is what God's been drawing my attention to personally. We wonder why we don't grow. We wonder why, why, why this kingdom of God that's in us is and, and we're intimidated by the world and what's going on and yet God's living in us. Why is this? Because we don't, we give more attention. Whatever you give attention to is what becomes bigger in your mind. And God's direction to us, to His children, is give attention to his word. And just in case we don't understand what that means, he goes on to explain. Incline your, go back again, verse 20. Incline your ear to my saying. So sometimes we're somewhere and I may have trouble hearing what Anita's saying. So what will I do? I'll lean over. E.F. Hutton. <laughs> I'll explain that later. I, don't, I, I need to hear what you're saying. Or if there's something going on around me and I'm listening to a teaching, I need to turn it up because I want to hear it. So whatever I've got to do to hear what's being said, I'll give, I'll climb, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do. And, and the reason we don't do that so much with God's word is we don't really understand what that word is and why God's given it to us. It's the answer. It's the answer to everything you need. Is in this word. Do not let them depart from your eyes. That doesn't mean you walk around them like this, but you can think about it all the time. Talk about it to yourself. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Many people don't even have it in their heart. Keep them going. 
for their life to those who find them. Life. The life of God to those who find them. And health. Some translations say medicine. God's word is medicine. Now your doctor tells you to take these pills three times a day for the next 12 days. You're going to take these pills three times a day for the next 12 days. Why? Because you have confidence that that doctor knows those pills, if you do what he says, will produce, will bring healing to your body. And yet God Almighty has said, incline your ear, attend to my words, my medicine. Don't let it depart from your eyes. Keep it in the midst of your heart. Why? Because I know what it will do for you. It will bring life into your every area of your, of your life. That glory that's on the inside of you. That's what those verses in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians were talking about. That glory that was in Christ, God on the mountain, that God on, Christ, on Moses' skin, that glory is in you now. Because God's presence, Spirit is in you now. But it's not showing up and showing the glory of God in our words, in our deeds, on our face. Most Christians look... The glory of God ought to be shining out of your face. The life of God, the love of God ought to be shining off of us. So the people say, what do you... I remember when I worked in, in... I don't have time to go there. But I've had people stop me and ask me, what do you have that I don't have? And I wasn't... I was practicing law at the time. And health to all their flesh. Verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence. This is God speaking to us. For out of your heart flow the issues, the springs, the issues, the forces of life. Power of God. Galatians chapter 6. And this is the principle. And we'll have to He's just finished talking about something we will talk about, maybe get to it next week, about learning to walk in the Spirit. In chapter 5, he says, walk in the, he talks about the difference between the, the works of the flesh, which is the old man, and the fruit of the Spirit. Works are things you, you do. Fruit is what naturally comes out of the nature of something. He makes that distinction. And then he talks about about if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is living behind the curtain. It's learning to live that you're more conscious of the Spirit person on the inside than you are of whatever's going on around you. And I told some stories last week out of my own life of being in situations like the courtroom situation I was in where it was, in my, to my mind and everything around me, uh, it was, the case was lost, I was overwhelmed, but I've learned to pull inside and say, God, you have an answer for me somewhere. And when I was willing to, to get to that place, the answer came that turned the whole case around. And, and many other stories I could tell you that are like that. I'm far from perfect in this. But I've learned it enough, and I, I want to... In fact, you can come to the place... Those of you that have heard of Smith Wigglesworth, a great evangelist back in the, in the, in the 20th century, in early 20th century, amazing miracles. I, he raised something like 20 people from the dead. Amazing stories. Some of his, his biographies out there, there are wonderful books about him out there. But one of his sayings was, 
because he was a, a fairly large man. He said, but you got to understand, I'm a whole lot bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. He had learned to be, live aware and conscious of who he is on the inside to the point that what's going on the outside was not controlling him. And that's not something that's unique to one person. It's just that he did what we're talking about doing. So the ability for what we're talking about, for you to have that, is in your hands. God's given you everything you need. He's given you word. He's given you his spirit. He's giving you instructions now. Do not be deceived. So that's what's going before this. Do not be deceived. That means if we don't do this, we're deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. Be not deceived. So what what Paul is saying here is if we think we can sow one thing and reap something else, we're deceived. And really we're mocking God because God's telling us if you sow this, this is what you're going to reap. Next verse. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. That just that means destruction. And he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. He's not just talking about whether you're going to go to heaven or not, because he's talking to Christians. He's talking about whether that life of God on the inside of you, are you enjoying it, whether it's, whether it's fulfilling your, whether it's filling your life, whether it's beginning to come to the outside. It all depends on what you've been sowing into your heart. We just read, he says, guard your heart. This is God talking to us. This is not a suggestion that we've seen posted on some blog or websites out there somewhere. This is not an opinion that's been given on CNN or Fox News. This is not some book we happen to read. This is God speaking to His children because He desperately wants to see His children walk in the fullness of what He's paid so dearly to give us. And I'm talking to me this morning too. God saying, I want you to reap everlasting life. Everlasting life is a Greek word that doesn't refer to how long you live. It refers to the quality of the life you live. God lives life at a plane that this world does have no understanding of. But that life is in you now. The life of God is called Zoe life. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life, John 10.10, and that more abundantly. I have come that you may have the life of God living in you and flowing out of you. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's prayer was that we would all be filled up with all of the fullness of God. And just in case you think that's not possible, he goes on to say, now unto him was able... God, to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or think according to the power, not that comes down out of heaven, according to the power that dwells in you now. This, isn't, this morning's not a pep talk. 
It's not a talk to say, wow, rah, rah, we can be better, we can be stronger Christians. No, this isn't a wake-up call from God to us. I'm alive in you today. I've put my spirit in you today. I've recreated who you are, and I'm your, you're my child. We sang that so well this morning. And now I want to move, move through you. I want to love through you. I want to work through you, my, my work, because there's a world out there that's lost, that's hurting, that's dying, and they've got to see a church that doesn't look the same way they do. And I'm not talking about our clothes, I'm talking about the image of the world impressed on us, that we talk like the world does. Well, I can't do this. Really? When the Bible says, you can do, God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or think according to the power that works in you now, and you say, I can't do that, it's too much. No, you can't. Paul learned this secret, he says, I've learned this secret. In all things, whether I've got a lot or a little, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the Christ who strengthens him was living on the inside. I can't tell you the things that I've had to face as a pastor. I had no idea what to do. Overwhelming. Some crises I've had to face. And sometimes they come up quickly as an emergency. And my mind wants to go south quickly. I mean, retire quickly. Go south quickly. Get out of here. Quit. I can't do that. It's like, but I've learned to turn inside. But in you, I can do all things because you live in me. Because we're one. We're going to have to end this here. Next week what we're going to talk about is the parable of the sower. Because it talks about the word, the seed is a word. And, and when God sows it into your heart, and that seed will produce whatever it was intended to produce. But you and I control how much that seed can bring, bear forth fruit in our lives. The life of God, the Zoe, unlimited peace, joy, life of God, is living in you right now sitting there, trying to stay awake, sitting there, wondering when this is end so we can go and eat, sitting there. That's all your focus on this side of the curtain. And I'm trying to help you to pull back the curtain and get a taste and a glimpse of who God's made you to be on the inside because He wants to know you that way. He wants you to know Him from on the inside of you and not so much from your mind. We're going to have to bring this to an end. But before I do, I want to speak to people that are watching, or you may be here this morning. Everything I've said today is addressed to those who have come to Christ, admitted, admit that on their own, they're a sinner. That just means you break God's law. And say, well, I'm a pretty good person. It didn't say you've got to be a pretty good person. The Bible says in order to enter heaven, you have to be as holy as God is. 
That's what it says. He's a holy God. And in order to enter heaven, you have to be as holy as He is. So if you've ever committed one sin, thought, word, or deed, you disqualified yourself on your own effort. But God loves you so much that he had a solution for that. So much so beyond, so much, such a, a grand loving step that the Bible says that the rulers of this world could never enter their thinking. And God did this, knowing you could never measure up. He sent his son to this earth to become a man and to live among us for 33 and a half years. And then at the appointed time, God took his sinless son who never sinned thought, word, or deed as he was a man. And God had that sinless son nailed to a cross. And on that cross, God took your sin and my sin and put it on his son and then poured out his wrath and judgment for our sin on his sinless son so that God could then give to you his righteousness and his holiness. That's what the gospel is but you have a part to play. God's offered this gift to you, given this gift to you, but you have to receive that gift as everyone has to do with a gift. And the way you do it is very simply this. You have to recognize that right now you are a sinner. That's not a popular word today. But you have evil thoughts in your heart. You rebel against God. You you have your own ideas. You're going to do what you want to do. That's enough right there. That's the root of all sin. You have to be willing to admit that and want to change. But you can't change yourself. Only God coming into you through Christ can change you. And Jesus calls that being born again. It's becoming a new person on the inside where God takes that old person out and God puts a new person in. You may not feel anything, but that's what God does. If that's you and you're ready to do that, don't do this unless you're serious because you're making a commitment to Christ, to give Him your life and to follow Him as best you can with His help. But if that's you and you're ready, here or online, I want you to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to ask everybody to join me. You don't have to bow. you You can do whatever you want to do. It's whether you mean this as best you can from your heart. So just pray this with me. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now the good and the bad, and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit, that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now, if you prayed that with me online, there's a number at the bottom of your screen. If you call that number tomorrow morning, someone will answer the phone because we want to send to you some free material to give you a better understanding of what you've done today. Second thing I want you to do is tune in next week. Same time or better that, come here.
because we're going to continue on to help you learn what you've just done today and what that means for your life as you go forward. If you were here this morning and you prayed that for the first time, or maybe you made a recommitment of your life, as you leave in just a moment, if you go around to our Common Grounds Cafe, someone will be there and give you that, that same material. So let's.